Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Lexi Thompson online. Lexi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? It's great to have you on the show today. Now, we talked quite a bit uh, in the pre-show about leadership and things like that, but uh, to start off, to share with the audience a little bit about you and you know, this amazing work you do. Yeah, thank you. Um, I do, I think the title most people would know, executive coaching and um, leadership work in the development phase. And uh, most recently, um, left Texas and bought a place up in Vermont, and I'm creating some spaces and places for small, intimate, um, transformational leadership retreats. Yeah. So you, you left a state that normally doesn't get winter that just recently had winter to a state that gets winter all the time and, and it's probably going, why is everybody freaking out about the snow? Uh, but it's, you know, it, that's kind of a reverse direction because <laughs> a lot of people, well, especially yeah. in California, yeah. you know, are, are flocking to Texas for the more, um, I guess, tax-friendly status of businesses and a variety mm-hmm. of other things. I know Austin has been, uh, yes. seemed to be a mecca of, of major growth. A lot of people that I know have uh, relocated there. And I thought, you know, it's like, you can't all be Austin City Limits fans. I mean, what, what do you, what, well, there's something else going on there. And I know there's just a big resurgence on that. But so the relocation from, you know, uh, one of the largest states in the union to, you know, Vermont, which is, you know, obviously footprint wise is a lot smaller and, you know, different way of life and all of that. You know, how was the adjustment from that for you? Yeah. So I probably need to precursor this. I grew up here, but I left for 25 years to Texas because I hated winter. Um, And then I always knew I'd have like a summer home somewhere around here. New England's very magical in the summer. And a summer home turned into a, hey, I don't really want to not be here anymore. It turned into, I actually really like winter. I don't know if it's hot flashes that make me like winter. Or what it is. But it, this winter's been magical. And being up here, you know, we moved permanently up here in 2019, just before COVID hit. Um, and I couldn't have felt more blessed to be up on a mountain range than during this time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And I've spent some time in New England in every season. I've been there, you know, yeah. in, in, you know Boston and in yeah. Maine and all of those places. Um, and each season, it is magical. There's something yeah. about it, you know, not, not just the, okay, these were, you know, some of the first states, you know, not right. just, not just that. And right. that, you know, that so, you know, that so many of the states did a great job of protecting a lot of the heritage buildings where, you know, you see in a lot of other places that did not happen. Um, but not only that, but just there's as silly as it sounds is like, there's something about the air. There's just, there's this, ambience about it from and I, I grew up in Detroit yeah. so I it, yeah. so it's there's an ambience about that part of the country that mm-hmm. it's just it, it feels different there's I don't it, it's it's hard to explain and the fact that you know you went you went back and mm-hmm. for a lot of people that leave where they're from and they and they do go back 
I find, and I personally, I did go back to Detroit for what I like to say a cup of coffee. I was there (laughs) just, just under two years, you know, was, you know, I was in Chicago before that. And, um, after being there, I thought, okay, I remember why I wanted to leave, you know, nothing against uh, the great lake steak, nothing against Motown. Love it. It's home always will be, but there was, it was like, this is not where I need to be. This is not where I desire to be. And when in your situation, you went back and you were like, I don't want to leave. And it's, and that's, that's some self leadership to be able to give yourself permission to go, no, I want to stay here. And especially after 25 years of saying I would never, ever. Yeah. It was a humbling experience. Well, you give yourself grace, pardon the yes. lead in, lead in pun there, but um, it, that's, that's a key component in everything in life is we all need to have more grace in our lives, you know, yeah. grace towards others and leadership roles, but also grace for ourselves and, sure. and how we navigate through life because each day we're all doing the best we can with what we have at that particular moment in time. And so let's talk about, you know, the leadership space and, okay. and, graceful leadership and you know why that's a big focal point of the stuff that you do yeah so in my coaching practice i one of the things i enjoy doing in my free time is finding patterns and so i was looking for patterns in the people that were coming to me and how i could pivot some things and kind of up level my own leadership and my own way of being in the world and when i did that one of the gaps that I recognized I was bridging and that others were asking to bridge was this space between what I do and who I am. And, and in that space, doing a lot of really what feels like pretty brave, courageous, heavy lifting work in the internal space around aligning, aligning those things up and the rigor and the honesty and um, reckoning that you have that you're called to do when you do that work. I have I'm I won't say I'm on the other side like it's a completion. It's I think it's a cycle that you go through. You refine and refine. Um, but I've been through it a couple of times that I was like, hey, I think I have a path that others might enjoy, making it faster, more easy, and graceful for them. And in that, the book, The Power of a Graceful Leadership, leader just evolved. So it was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's always how I talk with a lot of authors, and I've written books myself. Is mm-hmm. how a book gets birthed and created. Yeah. Each story is different. You know, you think mm-hmm. you know for people that have not written a book, you think okay, you, you come up with an outline, you fill some things in, you write it, and away you go. But no, there's there's experiences, there's life choices and life decisions that you know play a part in whatever is in your book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, mm-hmm. uh, it's, there's a lot of creation. So what was it like to write the book? You know, what, what were some of the, you know, the, I guess discoveries is a good way to put it that, that came along as you were uh, putting the book together. Yeah. There's six tenants in the book and um, I wrestle with two of them more than, than the other four. And that's usually true for most of us. You'll find the two that kind of poke you in the eye. <laughs> and one of them is transparency. And a lot of that is just my ability, my willingness, and my bravery to tell my own story and, and, and be able to temper the fear, and sometimes it felt like a monster in the closet fear, of rejection, judgment, all the things that are going to happen as a result of writing this book, right? 
And so, and then, and then doing it anyway, just knowing that the calling was bigger than the rejection or fear and moving through it. So in the book, there's a smattering of extremely intimate um, stories of my own, not just others or a combination of clients. It's not a clients, avatars of stories, um, but mine are me. And, and I've, wrote them in there and many times was like, oh, I need to take them out and I have to self-soothe myself to be like, it's okay. It's, it, you're, you're fine. So that was a big, a big lesson for me because here I am, you know, on the pulpit saying transparency and leadership is crucial. And I walked through the fire myself and I continue to do it. So that was a humbling and awakening experience for me. Yeah, each of my books were different experiences and writing them. You know, my 369 days book that talks about my my burnout and year of mm-hmm. losses and all of that. It was you know recounting experiences that happened and you know framing them in a way to you know bring people along to kind of yeah. let them know what it was like to go through those experiences because there was experiences around those experiences and try to yeah. you know, bring them along with that. And then the burnout proof book, which ironically, you know, I came, it came out earlier this year. I actually started writing that book before I wrote 369 and 369 came out in 2017. So it's been on the back burner for years, but it kept getting, I want to say rewritten, but there were a lot of things and experiences and of people that I've worked with and things that I've observed that it's like, okay, this would strengthen the book and it kept doing it and doing it. And then the book was ready to go uh, last February. And then, uh, you know, my dad had passed and it's like, well, I'll deal with it. And all of a sudden I'm, you know, in Florida and I'll, I'm saying, Ooh, lockdown, what are you talking about? It's like, <laughs> oh crap. And you're watching the news and you're like, and you know the, the you know national news is just completely ripping Florida apart for you know they're and I'm like wait a minute I'm where they're ripping apart uh oh and like now thankfully I had a mask um, because in January when the news started to break out of uh, Wuhan on some things uh, my better half said we should probably order some masks nice and I'm like. Okay, so we did, and we you know, were able to get them on Amazon, and because you know, they weren't really available in stores, quite frankly, at that point yeah. or anywhere else. Uh, so we were able to order some, and then all of a sudden, everything broke loose, and we're like, "Wow, boy, glad we did that!" Because I was I was probably one of the first you know handful of people in the whole state of Florida, other than healthcare workers, that actually had a mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, although my my parents. Um, had picked up some N95 masks that they sell at construction sites. They got them cheap because they were doing some repainting and it was a mask that my dad liked using. So they had a bunch of them. I'm like, this is insane. It's like, one of, you know, always, you know, kind of poking fun of my parents for, you know, buying things like that. And it's like, um, so you probably sell you could probably sell these for about a hundred dollars a pop if you wanted to, mom, but I'm going to tell you, let's keep them. And, you know, and so, you know, they serve their purpose for sure. Uh, but you know, the thing about writing a book and getting things together, especially with, with leadership in, in looking at what's going on in the world now and, and what's going to be happening over the next, I would say year to 18 months, because based on what president Biden has said a couple times, about anticipating that we'll get to as close to whatever normal will look like likely about a year from now, you know, maybe a little bit sooner, but 
with everything, you know, and all everything that falls into place, if it does, then a year from now, then pretty much all the restrictions should be behind us and, and all of that. From a work standpoint and a leadership standpoint, you have people that are going to be going back to work if they've been working from home this entire time. And they may go back to the office full time. They may go partly and work remotely, partly a whole mix of things. So it's going to be this weird experience. And a lot of people are going to feel not just like it's their first day ever at their job, but there's going to be a whole lot of other baggage that they're going to be bringing of this long experience of this pandemic and everything that's transpired since you know, those early days in March of 2020. Uh, so as a leader, what are some things that they can do to help, I guess, make that landing of the employee back at the office or back into a, a hybrid type of work environment a little bit easier for them? Uh, if yeah. From your observation. It's a huge inquiry. And I have a half a dozen leadership teams that we're working through all of that now. And, Kind of the theme that I'm seeing that most leadership teams that are, I would say, pretty evolved are landing on is that in the beginning, it's going to be a lot more voluntary and a lot more self-directed than than by force. Um, and quite frankly, many we've already seen it in some of the large tech companies, but many people are reassessing whether they need a building, you know, so what kind or how much, right? And so... The, that's one of the silver linings I think in this is like one of the one of my clients was just before COVID they were like the, the HR business partner was pretty evolved and he's like we have to look at work from home programs da, 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 da. the leadership team wasn't above him wasn't so they're like no we don't they're an energy company out of Houston it's not how we do it it's not how we've ever done it he had enough of the framework set up that when COVID came they had, at least had something to get into to make it happen and now the leadership team has done so much internal work around this um, that they have become beautifully graceful leaders in the reentry conversation. There is no command and control desire. Um, and, and they're trying to figure out, like, here's the reentry program. And, and by the way, we're going to have a whole new process and policy around flexible work and what that means because we know we can do it. And, and so that's been a beautiful, like a silver lining inside of all of this, I think, just in, as far as how we work. And I think it's a healthy, wonderful thing. I love hearing that because, yeah. especially with the flexibility on the initial days of, okay, come in when you feel like it. You know, it, it depends on, you know, offices. If it's a smaller office, then you probably have a little bit more coordination, if, especially if you are, you know, if there's people that have been vaccinated and haven't been vaccinated and that kind of mixture of things, then you're like, okay, we got to make sure that we're, we're taking the necessary precautions uh, organization I help out with, you know, they've got, you know, a couple cubicle areas where four people sit in It's a smaller organization. And we, we've done our best to say, okay, the two people that sit closest to each other, Okay, don't come in on the same day, and right. and and things like that, and you know, yeah. the, some and, but sometimes they they can't avoid that, and you know, they take the necessary precautions and are doing everything that they can, um, you know, keeping you know the distance and everything like that. So it's working, mm-hmm. um, but even for that organization, you know, it's like okay, remote as much as you can. Don't 
you know, don't go in unless you need to for something, mm-hmm. you know, the previous year, you know, kind of going, you know, sideways or kind of like what you said about moving in 2019, mm-hmm. 2019, there was a big endeavor to automate a lot of things yeah. and also online virtual from wherever kind of things. It's like, yeah, in case there's a snow day or, you know, something is, you know, bad weather or you're not feeling well and you need to check something real quick. You don't need to come into the office just to yeah. do that. Well, that's, that created the foundation for being able to do what they've been doing since, you know, a year ago. And I think a lot of organizations uh, should look at instead of, okay, now we return back to work. No, let, let's, let's not return back to what in many cases wasn't working. Exactly. And let's, you know, I've, I've used this phrase and I've heard others use this phrase and calling this the great reset. And giving us an opportunity to take a look at what do we do? Who are we as an organization? Who are we as a leader? Mm-hmm. Um, who do we serve? Yeah. How do we serve them better while making sure that we're taking care of the people that do that serving? And when we do that and have that open dialogue and you know, no more of the leadership tiers. I mean, there still has to be somebody in charge to sign the checks and make the big sure. decisions and all of that. But decisions are a centralized input, which is central. Everyone has input on where things should go. And when you have an environment like that, then they have a say instead of this. Okay. You know, please come in these days. Now, are you getting your work done? Yeah. Okay. I don't care where you do the work. Yeah. I don't. Doesn't I'm, I'm not. And I've, you know, I not to get on my soapbox, but it's like, I always tell people, you know, again, coming from Detroit, we need to say goodbye to the Henry Ford way of working in office settings. It never worked. It was never designed for that. Tasks assigned to people, when they get them done, they get it done. Have a deadline, let them do it. And if, it, if that means they get everything they need to get done in four hours, have a nice day. You know, if, you're, if we need something, we'll send you a message. Instead of paying for this, well, you got to be here eight hours where you're giving somebody three hours of productivity, max. So, <laughs> max. Okay. Yeah. Like, why? And I'm not, I don't want to give anybody ideas. Oh, yeah, you can only pay them for three hours. No. Yep. Get rid of the hourly component for many office jobs. Yeah. Go with a, you are a graphic designer. You design things for us. We will pay you. 65 or 75 or whatever graphic designers make in a year. I will just say 75,000 to make it easy. You get $75,000 a year. You design graphics for us when we need them and we'll establish deadlines and time frames and all that good stuff. Then it's up to you to do it because you're the professional. Mm -hmm. If you get it done in half the time, great. Awesome. We're still paying you the 75,000 bucks. I'm not paying for time. Right. Yeah, I'm paying for service. I'm paying for a result, and getting that time component removed from it, I think, is going to go a long way for helping a lot of organizations reduce burnout amongst their teams and giving people a lot more freedom to do what they want. Yeah. Interestingly, one really cool side effect of that that I've witnessed is that when organizations do that and they're honest about it and they don't say it, then not do it. <laughs> um, when it's all congruent. Um, the people that get the work done in the three hours and still have some more time on the books, let's say, oftentimes they're innovating 
and or they're reaching across the aisle and saying, hey, how can I help you? And that's, that, I think that was unexpected, definitely from the command and control position, uh, outcome of all of this. And it's been a beautiful um, thing to witness. And then for leaders to sit back and figure out, wow, how do I harness that? Um, because the competencies that people are going to need in leadership right now are, are different. Um, time management's not really a thing, only for yourself. You know, you don't need to manage my time. You need to manage your time. Um, what you need to do is, you know, have inspire me a little, right? And, and help me understand how I tie into the outcome of the bigger purpose in life here at ABC Company. And then kind of let me loose to do my thing. And then let me know when I did it well and adjust when I need a little help. And it's, it, it sounds so simple, um, but it's a struggle for leadership to have that much hands-offness. It's very difficult. And I saw, I think it was on LinkedIn. It was just on the side where they have some headlines. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go into the article. I thought, well, because I looked at it and quite frankly, it pissed me off. Uh, so I didn't click on it. I probably should look at it. But basically, one of the biggest things that are um, in demand right now is you know, time management software uh, for employees. And that irritates me because I, and I, I tell this to management all the time uh, when I have meetings back, back in the olden days when you could go to an office and meet yeah. with clients um, instead of over Zoom. But I'll still do it over Zoom. You know, I ask them, okay, why do you need this time management thing? Well, we want to make sure our employees are doing this. That's why you see the Zoom fatigue and all of that, because you need to be connected from Zoom from 8.30 till 5 p.m., you know, five days a week and all of that stuff. And I'm like, well, why do you do that? And it's like, well, because we don't trust our employees. They're going to be, they're going to be watching Disney Plus or um, watching Netflix all day or not there or whatever. I'm like, so let me ask you a question. If you don't trust your employees, why do they work there? Yeah. Why did you hire them? If you don't trust your employees, fire them. Okay? If you don't trust them, fire them and fi- find some people that you can trust and lead. And, but that's the problem is managers. Is problem. Managers can't trust because managers have never been taught how to manage. Most leaders have not been taught how to lead. It is a self-driven activity. As a leader, I know you as well. The leadership training you have grown from and nurtured and made your own a good chunk of that. If not majority of it was you investing your time to be the best leader you could be. Most corporations don't have a line item for we're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars a year towards your professional development. I'd be looking for the the cameras and saying, okay, what kind of joke show are we on? This is not (laughs) real. Like, is there a camera in here? Where is it? You know, it's like, what? Yeah, no, that's it doesn't happen. And that's a problem because managers are notoriously bad for micromanaging their teams. And they've had a really difficult time since this pandemic because they can't just constantly walk up to your desk. What are you working on? What are you working on? Well, now they got to do it via Zoom. Um, it's like assign a task, give them the clear guidance, let it go and make sure they have everything they need to do the job. Yeah, I think, that, I think the biggest thing for leadership, I think just in life in general, but specifically for emerging leaders is being able to hold kind, candid, clear conversation. You know, and when you can do that, everything else just falls into place one way or the other. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, it's you give people the work that they need to do. You get out of their way. You have mm-hmm. deliverables. Mm-hmm. If they deliver them, congrats. If yeah. they don't, then that's when you start working on helping them with it, figure out, okay, maybe this isn't the right role for them and adjust yeah. accordingly. But yeah. this constant watching them creates dissent. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was a study that was done a few years ago uh, by Ceridian you know, up in Canada, but you know, they're in the U.S. as well, mm-hmm. where the survey indicated that 73% of Canadians surveyed indicated if they were offered a job today, they would take it. Yeah. So oh, almost 8 out of 10 people would get up and leave their job right now yeah. if they were offered a new job. So imagine you're an organization and you think, okay, 80, 73%, well, be uh-huh. accurate here. 73% of your team would up and leave right now if someone offered them a job. Well, guess what? As this new economy and everything comes out of this, there's going to be some, in my estimation, some amazing opportunities for a lot of new roles to come out. And those organizations are going to say, we need people. Yeah. We need a lot of them. And we need them in this skill set. And they're going to go, where are they? Well, here's an organization here that's got this rich in talent on those things. And they're going to come in, they're going to whoop, and they're going to completely rip out uh, your infrastructure and take away your key people because they were in that 73% because you have managers that micromanage them all the time. Yeah. So if you're an organization that micromanages your people, my hunch is you probably want to learn a new trick because you're going to lose some key talent over the next few years. I, I see it happening and mm-hmm. I don't want to celebrate that, but I also don't want to diminish that, you know, that is an awakening for organizations to take a look at their management team and go, okay, why do we have the high turnover? Why do we have all these challenges? It's because yeah. we're not leading with grace. You know, we're leading with a, you know, the stick and carrot. Well, everybody's carrying a stick and there's no carrot at the end of it. They just yeah. keep smacking keep it. <laughs> yeah, keep moving it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I only do that yeah. with my dog and it's with his toy, not with a carrot. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but awesome. Lexi, I've enjoyed this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work that you do? Oh, thanks. Uh, LexisThompson.com and it's at Alexis on all the social media profiles as well. So thank you. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So, Lexi, thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.